the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. I just decided I'm doing it my way. My God, I love it so much. Hi, Nam. <laughs> He's like, what happened to this podcast? It's all of a sudden about haircuts. For girls. For girls. We are yeah. girls. We are. I kind of stopped coloring it a little. You could kind of see it's a little bit, but. Oh, I stopped like I know. seven, eight years ago. I quit. It's too hard. I'm not ready. It's not, I'm, not it's re- not the, I'm not ready. It's not that too hard. It's not that. It's just. um. I really never liked coloring and I never wanted to as a cancer yeah. survivor. I really felt yeah. like I want to look in the mirror and know how old I am. Oh my God. I, I just love it. Like I it's can't. a gift, you know? No, I'm the oh my passage gosh. of time is a reminder yes. that we're running out of time. We got to do what we need to do in this world. Yes. Hi, Noam. Wow, Good morning wisdom. to you. So Good afternoon to me. This is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> we just dive right in now clearly old friends meeting up again able to share wisdom that's what this is all about right totally absolutely um, well so let me make it clear to everyone how about that we'll just go with this but um these are two friends of mine liz is a friend from back in the day for me uh because when i went to hofstra university liz was the jewish community service corps fellow and her job was to go out there and to meet young students and to bring them into hillel and to befriend them and it's been a wonderful friendship ever since uh, mm-hmm. And Eileen, I recently just met out here uh, in California because of a recent recording of this podcast, which Sheva and I did, who, by the way, just couldn't be here today. She'll be back for our next recording. But Sheva and I did an interview, uh, as Eileen said in her bio, with Rabbi David Wolpe. Uh, and so we asked him about his divorce and what the circumstance was like. Uh, and so we naturally wanted to follow up with Eileen. And I also wanted to have an opportunity to speak with Liz, who I know has wanted to have this conversation as well for a while. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's great to be able to share this space with both of you. It really is. That was a long right time ago, Noam. That was uh, 1998. You mean when our friendship started? You when we met, yeah. It was crazy. You were, you were right? a little little pipsqueak freshman. Thank you. I, I appreciate you sharing that with the world. <laughs> well, it's okay. You can edit it out later. Hofstra was a wild place back then, too. It's not as I don't uh, know. I, I was never a student there, but yeah, I mean, that was a really nice job. And I, I yeah, well, you and I kept in touch over the years, off and on. So, for different things. and then, yeah, for yeah, yeah. You know, and um, then Eileen and I met because I reached out to her after Menachem and I separated. I reached out to her and I was like, I, I need help. <laughs> Because I had known about her divorce, obviously, living in California um, as a clergy, you know, the clergy family is very big there. So I am. Um, and the yeah, divorce letter. That's correct. Um, that and you were living uh, in Berkeley at the time. Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, I re- I just remember reaching out to you and you were like amazing, supportive, just a great listening ear and giving me great advice on how to just handle all the different things that were being thrown at me at the same time. And you really kept me grounded. You and my therapist. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. Yeah. There's not many Thank people you. that understand like the clergy divorce. You know, my therapist was helpful, but it, there's a whole nother dynamic to it when it's a, when there's a congregation involved. And uh, you were yeah. really a great um, rock for me during that time. Thank so you. I guess I should publicly say thank you. Oh, it's my honor. 
honestly. Mm-hmm. Let me say two things. And, and I, actually, I actually want to, uh, sorry, Noam. Uh, I actually right wanted ahead. to sort of piggyback on something that you said earlier, Liz, in your bio and your description of yourself, which is that you do not identify or describe yourself as uh, you know, a former rabbitson or having been married to a rabbi or by your divorce. And right. that's also true for me. And mm-hmm. I think I only added that in here because of what we're doing here today. Right. So, but it's not how I self-identify. Mm-hmm. And, and I have now been divorced for nearly 13 years. So that's a very long time as well. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. sort of just want to put that out there. As yes. it's fresh in my mind, I just want to say, I wonder where the threshold is before you start saying, or once you, when you start, you don't start identifying by divorce in any way, shape or form, right? It's an event that happened and now you're moving on with your life and you don't need to categorize yourself as that. Let's come back to that. Cause I just want to say, um, quickly that this has been a, a, a Eileen, you mentioned the divorce letter, which I'm going to share with the community, right? And even reference in this conversation, because I would love to bring it up again. It's just chock full of amazing wisdom, I think, for people to read over and over and over again as they're going through divorce. But then also, let me also just express my gratitude, which is to say that when I was going through my divorce, I reached out to Liz uh, because yes, she was that's the right. only person I knew that I could reach out to or thought that I could reach out to in the, mm-hmm. in the rabbinic community. And she you know, walked me through certain parts of it as well. And it was emotional for me then too. And I remember mm-hmm. being emotional and confused on the phone. Mm-hmm. And Liz was really wonderful. So thank you for that, Liz. And in that way, also thank you for that, Eileen, because your service to her paid it forward to her service to me. And right. that's right. a real beautiful thing. And that's really the way it should be kind of within the divorce community that, mm-hmm. you know, you can just reach out to a buddy and be like, what the fuck is this like? And or or just the we- human community. It doesn't right, have to right. be a divorce community. And right. And um, is now a good time to circle back to that question that you Let's circle back to that question, table? yes. When you reach okay. the threshold of, I don't identify as divorced anymore. Uh, Liz, mm. do you want to take that? Um, or do you want me to go first? I'll just briefly say, I think it depends on the context that you're in. Um, it, sometimes it just comes up in conversation organically. And I, I would say that I refer to myself as a single parent more than anything, just because I do still have kids at home. Um, once my children fly the coop and I'm sort of, living the life of uh, an empty nester. I don't know what terminology I'll be using, but for mm-hmm. right now, I think that's where I where I focus because that's the life I'm living right now. And it's been since 2015 that I was separated and divorced. So it's kind of, the years are creeping up. And so it becomes less and less of a priority in terms of conversation of how I identify myself. Sure. Um, but it does come up in certain contexts, but that's just, I think, the natural course of conversation. I don't intentionally say I'm divorced from da 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 da. It just sort of comes up organically depending on where I am and who I'm speaking with. Sure. So for me, I think there are a couple of different um, significant, I don't know what word I'm trying to say, signifiers, um, which, uh, which happened at separate times. I think one is um, getting into and then leaving another relationship um, Mm -hmm. and starting to realize that I don't really have a desire to, I, to describe myself in relation to anyone else. I am me. I'm Mm -hmm. just my own person. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a, you know, I'm a daughter of my parents are now both gone, but I was a daughter and, and will always be a daughter. I am a mother I'm a friend. I'm a sister. Um, I was a wife, but I, I'm just me. 
So I noticed at a certain point in time that I was wanting to check the box single on medical applications or mm -hmm. uh, anytime I was applying to something, I, I really didn't like identifying as a divorced person. And I didn't really see the point. Um, at the same time, I am divorced and mm -hmm. I don't want to erase my marriage. Um, I, I, there were things about being married that I absolutely loved and I love and respect my former husband. So, um, and we're, we'll always be family. So I, I, I did struggle with that a bit. Um, in the end, in the last year, about a year ago, I finally uh, took my maiden name back as my last name. And I think that was the sort of final definitive point for me at which I really stopped uh, using the term divorce inside myself. Mm -hmm. I don't really see myself that way anymore. I am just me. Mm -hmm. the end <laughs> that's really well or the beginning <laughs> right right it's all the beginning and it's always the end yes so. yes well all things contain their opposite i have to get my little buddhist to stick in there too please do so uh, with that little buddhist hat on let me ask yeah. you both this question what's been the hardest part of divorce for you oh gosh you want to take this one first no, I just finished speaking. Now. Okay. Catch my breath. <laughs> um, well, I think the hardest bit, and I I have to say it's gotten easier with time and um moving to a new community kind of on the one hand, like reinforce this reality is like the loneliness. And I think loneliness would exist whether you're whether you're divorced from clergy or not. Um losing a large Jewish community was very hard in the beginning. Um, and I felt very lonely and isolated, lots of tears, a lot, uh, majority of the time. And I think just as time has gone on and I've worked very hard in therapy on valuing myself and my own contributions to community, um, that's been very helpful. But I would say it's the, lo the loneliness um, when the kids are with their father and I'm by myself. It's, it's tough. And it's less tough, but it's still a challenge. Um I've, I've learned to, I started traveling on my own, which has helped a lot with that. Just instead of waiting for someone to go with, okay, I'm just going to go. That's it. I'm just going. about all the weekends, you're going out to Far Rockaway or yes. something like that. <laughs> Far Rockaway. Ooh, Far Rockaway. It's the first no, place that like, I no, thought no, of as vacation. Just to give you an example, like just to give you an example, I think it might've been over Sukkot or the, along when the kids don't have school and there's like, we're splitting the holiday and I have three, four days to do with nothing, you know? Yeah. And I, um, I ended up going up to Lake Placid for like three days by myself. Um, and it was great. I rented an Airbnb. I just did whatever I wanted and didn't talk to anybody. <laughs> it was really nice. Um, but that was a work in progress, meaning I've worked up to those, that kind of thing. Um, in the beginning, I, I would rather just stay home and cry by myself. And then I thought this is not a way to live. Despite being lonely, you still have to live your life. Um, but that's, that is the, been the biggest challenge. So for me, uh, thank you for that, Liz. Um, and you sort of uh, lit a fire under a couple of things for me. Um, I think, you know, I read this question, Noam, and I, I realized that the hardest part of being divorced is also the hardest part of being married, which is also the hardest part of just being a human being mm -hmm. and living in general. I, I see it all as one 
giant thing. I don't see it as separate things. And that is um, not self-abandoning. Mm-hmm. Um, and the isolation is is definitely a part of that experience. Um, there is a sort of shunning by married friends and and oftentimes, mm-hmm. or you know, in our case specifically as former rebitons, by married congregants. Um, there's often a fear among married people uh, when a divorced person enters a room. Um, it's uncomfortable for other people. And I was always really conscious of that and wanted to be um, mindful that my presence could be making other people uncomfortable. Um, and there's a sort of fine line between taking care of you know other people's feelings and and taking care of myself. And that's where the issue of self-abandonment, I think, comes in. Also, you know, for me, I, I feel like someone recently said to me that they um, they live on a foundation of these three rules. One is honesty, the other is transparency, and the third is integrity. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I for me, being divorced brings all of that to the front and center of every interaction because I don't want to, I don't ever, especially early in the divorce process, I, I didn't, I didn't, I'd spent a lot of time making other people feel comfortable. And in the process, uh, I did sort of abandon myself and didn't really take care of myself in a lot of situations. So I would say that's, that's the hardest part um, is just finding a balance between caring for others and being compassionate about their feelings and their fears and anxieties. Um, and, you know, not isolating myself too much or abandoning myself and my own needs for interaction and connection and community. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate both of those because the isolation has helped me get to where I need to be. And yet it's yes. been very difficult at times, right? The loneliness hurts, right? And mm-hmm. I think also when, you know, you're open for love and looking for it and ready for it and wanting, it's especially hard because you feel like you have all this love to give and all this love that you want and it's just not there. It's unavailable. And it's like that mm-hmm. expression, water, water all around, but not a drop to drink. And that's been incredibly frustrating. And I think the isolation is also, and this I think is opposite to what you were saying, Eileen, you know, you mm-hmm. talked about, how distant you had become for yourself, right? And so divorce was a way to realign with what you knew about yourself. For me, it was an eye-opening moment to exactly how much I didn't know about myself and the realization of all the naivete I had about myself and about relationships and about love and about how to be with people and thought that I did Mm -hmm. going into marriage um, and really ended up not knowing squat about it. Um, And Mm -hmm. the loneliness helped me see that, even if it Mm -hmm. was difficult. And that was the upsetting thing for me. I think that was the hardest thing was thinking like, and admittedly, I think this is a very loud inner critic. So some of it could be completely inaccurate, but thinking like, man, you were really stupid to have done those things, right? You Mm -hmm. were really stupid to have fallen in love with someone you really didn't know or know that much about yourself. And then to go and get married thinking like, hey, this is just the natural thing that you do. You meet someone, you fall in love, you get married, you have kids and you move on with your life. When reality, Mm -hmm. there were far more, I think, important steps to go about it it when it comes to finding compatibility with someone. Um, mm-hmm. and really building something with them. 
-hmm. I also think that I'm going to throw back out there that little Buddhist quote, which is all things contain their opposite. Mm -hmm. So while while it's true that you know I made the statements that I made, the opposite is also true, and I also had that experience that you just described. No, so did I. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I was. I was. Um. I was 22 when I got married. <laughs> Who does wow. that? Yeah. Wow. Like my daughter's turning 21 in a few weeks. And I look at her and I think, what? Yes. <laughs> Why would I do that? Yes. Like she we're just, I, I like, I look at her and I think, God, she's, she's a junior in college. She's, she's got such a great life. Like I'm so jealous of her life. Um, and looking at her knowing a year from now I had been married already. Like what I, I just, you know, I think you just get wrapped up in the moment of, especially if you grow up like I did, I grew up Orthodox and like mm -hmm. all my friends were engaged or getting married and it didn't seem abnormal to be that age and get married because there are, I had friends that were already married. Right. And it wasn't, it didn't seem, I didn't feel too young. It didn't seem unusual. It seemed completely normal to do. Um, but no, and what you said earlier about um, just not knowing yourself and I was obviously not ready yeah. looking back. I can say like, wow, I didn't really know myself. Even now, every day, I still wonder who I am. But it's the context of wondering is a lot more positive than it has been in the past. Instead of relating myself to my divorce and my ex, trying to figure out who I am in that context, it's more like who I am in, in terms of my contributions to my kids and to my life. Do you see what I mean? A absolutely. So Absolutely, there's no question about it. And so, I suppose the flip side of the question is, you know, what how have you benefited from divorce, mm. right? Or how has divorce benefited you? Because I think, you know, for as much mm. difficulty as there can be, the hardship that also, that's got to also yield something beautiful, as you say, and mm -hmm. Eileen in your article, right, which we'll get back to again. But for those who are willing to really go through divorce and find meaning, I'm paraphrasing, right? They're mm -hmm. the ones who come out stronger, and so there has mm -hmm. to be some gold at the end of the tunnel, right? Some light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. um, that benefits us all, or at least individually in some way from divorce. Mm -hmm. I'm curious for the two of you what that's been like. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, it really is a journey. And um, for me, I think that there's no question that I have found more resilience and strength than I ever thought possible inside of myself. Um, I also feel that it's been a journey to discover my true authentic self. I don't know that anyone's really ever quote unquote ready for marriage or knows what they're getting into. You know, we sort of, we fall in love and that's a beautiful thing. And, you know, then real life happens and we learn to love the person that we fell in love with. And hopefully we learn to love ourselves as well in that process. And there's space for both. There's room for both. That's not always the case, but um, I, I think that's the goal. Um, I'm going to stop there. Mm -hmm. No, um, can you, can you just say it one more time for me? Just repeat that what you were, what you're asking just one more time. Cause I got, I got so, in, I got so entranced <laughs> talking. I'm like, happens. wait, what am I supposed to talk about? <laughs> this happens many a time when I'm speaking with people, they become, I believe it. I'm just I'm listening saying. to her talk and I'm like, wow. And oh, then you're I'm talking like, about wait, what, what I am I saying? Yeah. No. Yeah. 
<laughs> really um, not me. Uh, I the question I asked was, how have you benefited from divorce, or how right. has divorce benefited you? I'll I'll say it from this angle. I think the biggest benefit is I parent my kids the way that I want to, and my and what I mean by that is I don't second guess my parenting choices. I don't feel that there's conflict with another parent where we're arguing about how to handle a specific situation. And I learned in therapy that what happens under my roof is my problem. And what happens under his roof is his problem. And I will say it took me a long time to separate those two. Um, In the earlier stages of the separation, I was wondering, what are they eating? What are they okay? Like just worrying about it. And then I thought to myself, this is just sucking my energy and taking away from my own experience of my new found life. Um, But I will say it's, it's just being able to not second guess my choices as a mom and knowing that um, I think I'm doing a pretty good job. Um, that's been, I would say, just one of the biggest positive aspects of it. Liz, uh, you uh, talked about the idea of seeing your children, your daughter turning 21, or she's going to turn mm-hmm. 21, or has already turned 21. Yeah, March 31st. Okay, so she's going to turn 21, and you were 22 mm-hmm. when you got married. Yes. And so this is this is kind of a two-part question. Part of it is, you know, what advice would you give your own kids about relationships right. and marriage? Right. And all right. that stuff, especially given the perspectives that you have and knowing mm-hmm. that she's 21 going on 22 um, mm-hmm. and how young you were when you got married. I also think about, you know, friends I knew from rabbinical school. I'm sure everyone's got a set of friends like this. You, Yeah, probably, all three of us. <laughs> but, but friends who got married right. very young, right, straight mm-hmm. out of college, right? They met mm-hmm. their parents in college and they're still married today, right? Had kids in their early 20s. So, you know, their 40s, pretty much empty nesters. Um Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, do you ever wonder about them? Like, do they see anything outside of marriage? Like, what have they not, have they not been bitten by something? You know what I mean? Like, has My the veil not been lifted? What is it? How is it that you get married at such a young age? Right. Right. With the whole world and life ahead of you, chock full of amazing experiences and things to happen. And yet you're still married. Right. And like all the normal things that happen in relationships happen to you and yet you're still married. What like do you have blinders that nobody else has? Like what's what your is, trick? Is this really <laughs> what's what's your magic trick? Like? Yeah. <laughs> but is that really what true love looks like? And I go, oh, that right. explains why I don't know right. about it. You know, I, I I do have a number of friends who are still married after getting married in their like mid early mid 20s. And. Look. The, the wives often share with me like things that are going on and I, and I just, you know, what kind of advice can I give them? Go to marriage counseling. What do you want me to right. tell you, <laughs> you know, or talk to your spouse about it. But um, in terms of just Ariel being 21, she, she often will say to me, how the hell did you get married at 22? Like, what were you thinking? She's like, I'm not. And I said, I don't know what I was thinking. You get wrapped up in the environment of what's going on and you get wrapped up in your stage of life. Like I said earlier, where your friends are and it's just a normal, it's normal. It doesn't seem off. 
just in terms of my thoughts about marriage in general, um, I, I've been very clear with my kids. I do not care if you get married. I do not care if you have kids. I do not care if you, I, I would love for you to find a, a partner who loves you and who respects you and who has great communication with you. But but um, your priority is being a good person in the world, taking care of yourself, contributing to your Jewish community. But I have let go of backtrack for a minute. My mom, when we first separated, my mom's like, don't worry, you'll get married again. And I'm like, no, that is like, I not, <laughs> I never want to experience marriage again, you know? And I think at that time it was more coming from a bitter place. Sure. Um, and now it's more just, um, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say that I don't understand the point of it, but my kids are very aware that marriage is not something I expect of them. Um, I don't have that expectation of them. And, and, and it's even gone further to my son saying to me once, mommy, do you care if my wife, if I get married, if she's Jewish or not, do you care? And I said, no, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. Um, because I've learned over the last seven years that there is so much more to a healthy relationship than the, your belief in any God or your religion. It's a small piece of a healthy relationship, but I don't think it really defines a healthy relationship. So, so to answer your question, um, yeah, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty understanding of, of how I feel about that. My kids, at least. That, that's the transition that I've come to almost word for word. It's exactly <laughs> what it is. I mean, it's the, I, I say to them, it does not matter to me if you get married. What matters to me right. is that, you know, you find joy and meaning in life. And if you're mm -hmm. around people and that you be around people who help you find those things. Right. Here for but, you in the process. Right. Right. Um, and then I jokingly yeah, say, but if you don't make me a grandma, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> 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 I'm like, I need to be a grandma, you know, but whether I, I, I don't care how, what route that takes, you could adopt. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me, but we joke. I jokingly tell them you don't have to get married, but I, I you need to make me a bubby. <laughs> One way or another. No. Yeah. Pick your poison, kids. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, my my experience has just led me to believe that there's so much more than the ring and the paper and just I I would but I would I love to live with someone as a partner, sure, but I don't need to go make it official in that sense. I don't, and and a lot of people because how I grew up and who I was married to, a lot of people don't understand that way of thinking. They don't like they just do not understand how. And it's, they don't understand, like, how could you think that? Don't you want to get married again? And I'm like, well, you're married, so you don't understand. <laughs> and they're orthodox. And they're yeah, some, some, but I think just in general, I think, I think when you grow up, like I said too many times, like when you grow up in this cycle of like, you, you, you know, you, you, you get married young, you have kids young, it's, it's hard to break that mentality. And I think the divorce for me was sort of like, it broke that stick of, of, what I always thought marriage should be and how living a traditional Jewish life should go. What about you, Eileen? Um, I'm not, I'm nodding, which of course nobody can see, but um, <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, it's the John Lennon quote that comes to mind is life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Sure. So I got married a couple of weeks after uh, my 27th birthday and my daughter's now 26. So um, she's almost the age that I was when uh, David proposed and we became engaged. Um, when, when I filed for divorce, because I was the one who actually filed, 
um, I really believed that I was going out there, my destination X, which I refer to in the letter, um, was a great love. And it took a long time for me to really discover that Whitney Houston got it right. And the greatest love of all is inside of you, mm-hmm. inside of me. Let me make it personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was really what I needed to learn. And I, I think if I have any advice for my own child, it is, you know, going right back to the first question that we talked about, which is don't self-abandon. Whatever mm-hmm. you do, stay whole and complete inside of yourself. There is a, there's a, an energy exchange that happens in marriage. There's a sacred bond um, and it can be broken and it sometimes is broken. And, you know, you can be married and divorced, but I also tell my daughter one more thing, which I've been sort of driving home to her her whole life, which is, um, I feel incredibly lucky that the person I married was also the person that I had a child with. Mm. Because even though we are divorced, the person that you have a child with is a person you're connected to forever. And I actually really like the person who is my co-parent. I genuinely like him as a human being and he's a wonderful father. And, and that's something I've driven home to my daughter again and again, which is, it's one thing who you choose to marry. If it doesn't work out, you can leave. We do have that option, even in a religious marriage. But when you have a child with someone, that's a separate and different sort of bond that is unbreakable. And you don't divorce a co-parent. You are co-parents forever. And eventually you become if you're lucky, or if you, if the fates deem it so, you become a, co- a co-grandparent together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, David and I are now uh, the the very proud co-grandparents of a cat <laughs> for the moment. <laughs> Let me tell you, this is a great cat. <laughs> that's so, um, yeah, that's, that's my advice wonderful. to my daughter. That's really wonderful. Thank you both for sharing that. I appreciate it. Um, you know, we pr- talked about earlier there being uh, an impact of your divorce on your community life, and both of you being ingrained in the communities in such ways as rabbis' wives. I imagine there was somewhat of a double whammy to this, um, not only mm-hmm. in social life, but also just kind of in superficial ways that the people, you know, and how people related to you. So I'm, I'm curious, what was the communal fallout or the communal experience like? Uh, when you both got your divorces. And Eileen, I know that you and David sent out a letter to the community. Liz, yeah, I so know did, what it So was did like. we. Yeah, we did too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So please. Um, as well. Yeah. I, well, I think that's a sort of strange thing that most people don't really go through when they get divorced. Most people go through divorce uh, privately. Um, and, you know, when you are married to a pulpit rabbi in particular, it does become a community affair. Um, and you know, I think David addressed this when you interviewed him, Noam, um, that, uh, you know, that's a, a, a complicated um, and narrow bridge to navigate. Um, mm-hmm. There was a moment 
uh, when David and I asked three separate families who were very close to us personally uh, to come into his office and um, we shared with them what was going on with us. And David specifically turned to the women and asked them to watch out for me because he had a sense that there was a good chance that I would sort of be, you know, demonized or devalued by the community, which, um, which I, I, I think, you know, there were some people who, who did that. There were moments when I would walk down the street in Beverly Hills and I would see a congregant look away once they saw me or even cross to the other side of the street oh in discomfort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my heart would break for them. Um, and also a little for myself because I want to throw in some self-compassion here, but um, it was an, it was a stressful and uncomfortable uh, transition for a long time. I would go to temple. Um, again, it would be, you know, people would be uncertain why is she here. She, she divorced our rabbi. And I think that, you know, there was no way people could, so a lot of people struggled. It seemed to me um, from my point of view. And I think David would agree with this that a lot of people need to cast blame. Um, they don't understand it. We didn't give reasons for our divorce that we mm -hmm. maintained as a, a personal private boundary. Um, and I think that a, a lot of people just, they, they need to do that. They think it's gonna be a war. It was not a war. We had and continue to have an incredibly warm, loving, supportive, and amicable relationship with one another. Um, and for a long time, I would have said that sentence with the word divorce instead of relationship. But that's, I think, part of no longer defining myself by my divorce. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I, I think part of the reason why people struggle and need to uh, cast aspersions or blame on one party of, of the divorce is because they're afraid that mm -hmm. it could happen to them. And yeah. it just seems like, you know, such a sort of wasteland. There, there was a, um, a congregant couple that we were very, very close to. And, and I know that David alluded to this in uh, your interview with him again, Noam. Um, the wife took me to lunch and flat out said to me, do not get divorced. You will be a no one in this town without wow. him as your husband. And I can't imagine that was a, a real detractor for you. You know, I, I really, in a way it really backfired because I had, I had, was feeling so lost and I was feeling like I really was just, I had, I had sort of given up my own life, my own dreams, my own sort of sense of autonomy. Um, and I didn't want to just be an appendage of another human being, no matter mm -hmm. how much I had esteem for that other person. I wanted more for myself than to mm -hmm. just live in his shadow. And she was very content doing that. And um, 
I don't have any judgment for her uh, about that, but I knew that it was not the life that I wanted for myself. Right. Ultimately, um, I don't know that I had any real sense of what to replace that with at the time, and that's been, uh, you know, my journey. But, um, but yeah, I, I think it's very, very difficult for the congregants, and I have a lot of compassion for them. In, in their own struggle to try to understand. Um, mm -hmm. At the same time, it, it was also personally hurtful and I had to get over that. And that was mm -hmm. a good exercise for me in not taking things personally. Mm -hmm. It's a really good example also for anyone who's just listening to kind of understand the different worlds that congregants and clergy are living in, right? Right, very much so. Part of that. Right, it's your, it's, it's, you know, your, X, or I'll just say the rabbi is sort of this hired employee, yeah. but then it becomes a very gray area with friendships because your spouse is the hired employee, but yet there's so much interpersonal stuff that goes on between you and congregants as, you know, they're calling you at the house to tell you things that are happening from the professional side, but then at the same time, your kids are in school together, or you see each other on Shabbat and you're sort of friends. And it's it's such a fine line to walk, trying to have friendships in the community and at the same time have the congregants understand that you're not an employee of the synagogue, your 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 spouses. Um, just to, to piggyback on what um Eileen just said, is th there were moments where I would be now the Berkeley Jewish community is much smaller than LA. Um, not that that matters. Cause when you run into congregants, I, I would run into somebody, let's say at the supermarket and I could see them down the aisle. They see me boom, turn the other way. And I just, you get this like hot flash reaction. Like, what did I do? <laughs> Why? I want to say hi to you. Why run away? I haven't seen you in four months. You know, um, I, I did get a Facebook message in the very beginning of the process. How could you do this? Why would you leave him? Um, a number of people assuming it was me. Um, I know Eileen and I had very different um, circumstances um, in terms of how the divorce went down, but every cell in my body wanted to scream, this is not my choice. This is not, I did not want this. But at the same time, you have to be mindful of your spouse's role in the synagogue and you don't want their reputation to be tainted because it's their job and you need the money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, you know, it's very, it was it, that particular Facebook message. I, I, she was a very good friend and I, well, a very good a congregant friend. And I messaged her back and I said, this was not my choice. This was not my choice. And you should know that. Um, and that was probably one of the biggest challenges of the community is when you, we sent this very neutral letter out. It was very it was crafted in a very specific way that sort of identified the rabbi and his wife are getting divorced. Please do not talk to them about it with some other information in there, but, but, you know, maintaining our privacy, please don't ask them any questions. So that it was sort of a double edged sword. On the one hand, you want to let the congregation know, Hey, this is happening. Um, but then that led to people wondering, well, what's really going on? What's really happening? And like people start making assumptions and, and, you know, the rabbi is often put on this holier than thou pedestal. And so, well, it can't be his fault. There's no way he would do this. Clergy don't do this. Right. <laughs> and you have to put on a poker face. At least I had to put on this poker face um, and remain like Switzerland, you know, 
yeah. very neutral, yeah. which was probably the biggest challenge because you're running into people on the street. And and I, I didn't go to Shul for, oh gosh, it must have been at least four to five months. And I probably would have never gone back had it not been that um, my oldest was in bar bat mitzvah season and I was getting invited to all these bar and bat mitzvahs and I felt like I couldn't say no. And so that's really I remember tough. The, it was tough. And I'll that's just briefly really say, I'll just briefly for that. Yes. And I'll, I'll just briefly say the first time I went to Shoal after many months, um, I, I was sweating the whole walk. <laughs> I mean, I was like, okay. I was like, you know, you plan out scenarios. Okay. What am I going to say? What am I like, where am I going to, where am I going to sit? Where am I going to like the little things that not everyone thinks about. And I sat where I usually sit, which is sort of in the back corner and, you know, trying to look like a fly on the wall. And, um, you know, people start staring. Some, a few people came over and said hello, but I got a lot of like, what are you doing here? Looks from people, but you just have to learn to ignore it. Um, and I think I went home after that first time going to show after many months, I think I went home and I just laid in bed and like cried. And I was like, well, that's the end of that community. Um, and I started going to another show, which worked out for my benefit. Um, but yeah, the hardest part is just, that was the hardest part. It was it's so surprising to me because I wrote a letter as well and I ran it by Tamar to see if she agreed with the content of it. It was fine. And they mm -hmm. sent it out. It was just out on my behalf, right? She didn't send anything out, or at least I don't know that she sent anything out. But I sent it out to the people in my community that I wanted to know. I wanted them to know about it. And it was surprising to me about how many people actually responded, um, especially those who didn't. made me wonder a lot about the friendships that I'd had leading up to that moment and were they really authentic friendships and sincere ones? Or had I done something to damage them in some way? Uh, and I wonder now if, you know, if that's the right route to go, right? You're going through a major life-altering thing. You want your community to know, so you inform them about it. So I'm curious to know how people in general would respond to that prompt. If you could write a letter to your community about your divorce, what would you say? And what would you want them to know? And how would you want them to treat you in, in response? But I'm also mm -hmm. curious. From Shalom, friends. Noam Rauscher here. We had so much fun with that last conversation with Liz and Eileen, we decided to cut it into two parts. So that concludes part one of our conversation. Next week, we'll return with part two of our conversation, and we'll discuss the ideas of true friends, responding to the loss of community, the ideas of unbinding and transactional memory, and a letter to someone considering divorce from someone who's been through it. As always, if you have questions or thoughts about this past episode, feel free to send them to us at thejewishdivorceproject at gmail.com. And you can always find us on social media at the Jewish Divorce Project on Instagram and on Facebook. Have a great week, friends. A wonderful end of Pesach. And we certainly hope it was a meaningful one from us over here at the Jewish Divorce Project. We certainly hope you had a wonderful and a meaningful Pesach. Mm -hmm.